trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company Incorporated. All right, we're back, and uh, let's give a nice radio Vermont welcome. Joining us here live in our studios this morning is the Transportation Secretary, Sue Minter, former state representative, also served as the Chief Recovery Officer after Tropical Storm Irene. Thanks for joining us. How are you this morning? I'm great, Mark, and thank you so much for having me on. Hard to believe that it was four years ago. Are you having that same difficulty I am? You know, it is hard to believe. In some ways, it seems very recent, but then I think about how much has happened in between 2011 and now, and it's, it's a remarkable thing to reflect upon. Take us back. Where were you that day? Wow, it's such a vivid mem memory for me, and it's, it's very easy for it to come uh, clearly to me, uh, a mix of memories. Uh, the night, of course, I didn't sleep. I listened to all of you uh, and the calls through this station, the nights, the rains came. But at the same time, I was receiving text messages from friends on Randall Street. Uh, evacuating homes in chest deep water and I was hearing radio reports calls and emails from the road workers all over the state reporting that roads were getting washed away and it was uh, a feeling of uh, chaos and and really crisis I remember so well coming right here to this intersection at five in the morning and seeing the floodwaters and needing to get to Montpelier, luckily I was able to uh, to begin to respond immediately to the crisis at hand. Will you remind me, were you a state rep then? What were you doing then? No, I was the Deputy Secretary of the Transportation Agency and uh, essentially the Governor and the Secretary of Transportation at that time, Brian Searles, was you know, circling in a helicopter and our leadership team uh, came together. That day, uh, government had been canceled um, but our leadership team came together and we really uh, we're one of the few places where we had reports from the field all over the state because we have teams from garages all over the state and determined really relatively quickly that there were 13 communities totally right. cut off. That's right. Now I'm remembering because I remember you and I have talked before about how Governor Shumlin laid out this decree to basically get everything open in 24 hours and it was like, yeah, okay. And we put everything we could at it, and we were all in. It was really key to have a clarifying mission, uh, and we established clear goals throughout the recovery. I'm talking really about the transportation response, and I think having clear goals and effective communication, and uh, we organized into something called incident command, uh, so we were well organized, well uh, devoted to clear goals and I think that's what helped us and really was the key to our ability to recover so quickly you know we had 500 miles of road 34 bridges out extraordinary damage and um, with very clear goals and communication and uh, of course incredible sacrifice dedication uh, from workers and not just our state employees but we had National Guard troops from eight different states we had the Department of Transportation from New Hampshire and Maine helping us contractors from all over the state we were all in and we really pulled it off in a way that nobody ever thought possible was there a plan that you pulled off the shelf that day, or was it kind of, um, did you have to do it on the fly? Absolutely on the fly, Mark. Uh, we felt, and that happened, I would say, for the following year and a half. Um, we were building the car as we were driving it, so to speak. There were literally four people that had training in what we call incident command system. I mean, that's the, that is the disaster response uh, model. Um, but they came to me early on and said, we have to do this. They described it to me, the organization 
organizational structure, and I said, let's go. We redeployed 700 people from our team uh, to the areas of greatest damage. And because I think of that incredible organizational structure, that decision, and then our job uh, at the headquarters was to establish those clear goals. Afterward, you must have broken this down. So what, what did you learn from it that you could do better the next time? Absolutely uh, broken it down. I've spoken to it on many, at many conferences. And most importantly, when I was invited to lead a team to the state of Colorado in 2013 following their flooding, um, it was exactly these lessons that we shared uh, with the Department of Transportation. And I actually spent an hour with their governor, Hickenlooper, talking about sort of lessons learned. I think, as I said, this organizational structure was critical to immediate response and um, how you set up and how you communicate effectively because everyone has to be rowing in the same direction. You know, in a crisis, there everything is a top, top priority. But unless you know how, what your top your focus is, your, your uh, key goals, and communicate them daily. We would have reports from the field. Um, and it wasn't just the goals. It was how did we measure those goals and how did we measure our progress? Because that put everybody on the same team on, in the same direction. I talk a lot about everybody in the boat rowing in the same direction. Because when one war is going the other direction, you can't get going. And that's what was so key to our response on the transportation end. How, do you, how did you measure progress? Well, every day we had um, calls. Uh, at the first, it was three times a day, and then it was two times a day. And we would look at, okay, how far are we on each goal? Uh, and I can recite them. I still remember them. Uh, first, of course, 24 hours later, we needed to restore emergency access to the 13 cutoff communities. We did it to 12 out of the 13 and 24 hours. The final one, uh, Cavendish, came the next day. But then we needed to look inside each community and make sure there weren't emergency challenges that we needed to address. We needed to inspect every single bridge in the state that could have been affected. We needed to restore east-west access. Every east-west corridor across the state was severed. All the main state roads, 4, 9, um, 107, 131, we needed to prioritize where to go. So I think that right there is a great example. When we put all the assets on the key state quarters that needed to be reconnected, we were able to do that very quickly. And then moving down the list, um, making sure the power went on. Um, that's another great example of how we partnered. So our team were on daily calls with the utilities, and they were well coordinated. And because whenever they had a need, we went there first. Um, all of those things, that working together, that teamwork, that structure, and that organization was, I think, critical to our success at the early stage. 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. We've been talking with Sue Minter. Boy, it sounds like everything just went hunky-dory. There, there had to have been some real bumps along the road here. Oh, absolutely. Challenges every single day. Okay, give me, give me an example. Oh, well, you know, a lot of times uh, we would be getting calls. I mean, one of the hardest part is that if, when you establish a, um, an organizational structure, a command structure, and everyone knows their roles and responsibilities, you must go through that structure. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we'd be hearing from communities, community leaders, uh, the governor would be in touch with things, and when their priorities started to conflict with ours, that would become a problem. Huh. So we needed to mm -hmm. stay on task. 
And I think that became a learning um, learning tool for all of us across state government. You know, I want to remind you that the um, the emergency operations center right. uh, was flooded, flooded out, yeah. which is why we decided at the very, very early stages we just needed to move into our own. But that right there was a challenge. Instead of working through the state emergency operations center, we were effectively uh, had our own satellite emergency operation responses. So we needed to come back together. Another uh, major challenge was sort of when the federal uh, folks came, uh, the federal emergency management, FEMA. <clears throat> that was sort of another organizational structure, and you know many issues arose out of that. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example where priorities conflicted? Oh, you know, we would hear from you know the governor's uh, having a visit in a community, and um, you know sees that as a, an emergency need. For example, um, here's a great one: we he was visiting in Rochester, and actually going there tomorrow, and the bridge was out. <clears throat> and they needed to create, they had made a, a, a pedestrian bridge, um, but, you know, the goal was to make a more uh, robust pedestrian bridge. So we didn't want to take our forces off of our priorities. And so instead of redirecting our priorities, we had to come up with a different way to solve that one. And so we looked to the contracting, we looked to um, the conservation, youth conservation corps, different ways to address that problem rather than taking our, our eye off the prize that we needed. That kind of thing happened a lot. I'll tell you a huge issue was at the beginning, uh, you know, it was my goal to fix every road. And at some point in the first 36 hours, my leadership team said, we have to fix the state roads. We can't solve the town problems. We will give them the resources we can. So what we did was, uh, and I remember because I called a, a conference call of all of the regional planning commission directors, and I said, folks, within 24 hours, you need to set up your own command system, and you need to be in charge of assessing and assembling response to all the towns for their roads. So rather than take our eyes off the prize to divert, divert to these other priorities, we came up with ways to solve other problems without impairing our direction. Talking with Sue Minter, the Transportation Secretary, 244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free, 877-291-8255. Let's go to Waterbury. Howard, good morning. How are you? Yes, good morning. Uh, my name is Howard Rexford. I live on South Main Street in Waterbury. My question is, what has been done or is being done regarding flood mitigation along the Winooski River corridor, in particular South Main Street in Waterbury? Okay. The uh, night of the flood, the fire department, when I was standing in four feet of water, told me that there was a possibility the Marshfield Dam could fail. And in that case, we would be looking at another four feet of water on top of what we had. I'd like to know what's been done uh, regarding the Marshfield Dam in particular. Thank okay. you. All right. Thanks for your call. Thank you. And I remember that moment uh, vividly when uh, the reports were coming in that that dam might flood and what that would mean. And, and I also remember when we finally realized the water was receding and that that was no longer a threat. Um, I don't, the, the main thing that I know that we're, 
that has been that the community of Waterbury has looked at is um, they received uh, several grants called hazard mitigation grants and to look at the Winooski River the choke point actually by the Winooski Bridge and the way in which the river takes a very sharp bend and the thinking is that there was a real backup there that basically meant that the, the floodwaters came into the village and so my understanding is that there is an assessment and I'm sorry I don't know the status right now of that but they are analyzing what's the choke point and what's the way to resolve that choke point so that you know we won't have that kind of backup when the next event occurs. 244-1777 is our local number, toll-free 877-291-8255. Were there roads that were, for lack of a better word, changed so that they're more likely to not be negatively affected? Great question, and it's something we're thinking about, not just uh, following Irene, but thinking about for the future. How do we have a resilient infrastructure? And we learned so much uh, following Irene by working closely with the river scientists from uh, the Agency of Natural Resources at what are the river dynamics and literally how does the river meet the road? And the way we built back, you know, we built that very quickly, but in some cases those were considered temporary repairs and that decision about what needed a longer-term repair was actually made with the A&R River scientists with the Federal Highway Administration with the Army Corps of Engineers where they said you know you've done this on in an emergency fashion but for long-term stability and sustainability of this system you've got to redo it so in fact we are uh, redoing how we do some of the roads how we do the contours um, how we the banks from the road uh, and how we manage not just the future flooding but the stormwater runoff <clears throat> this is a really complicated and important discussion because what we know is the river needs to flood and it's both the built areas communities and the ways in which our infrastructure the road intersects with the river and in the past uh, there was a belief that you could just straighten the road uh, excuse me straighten the right. rivers and build your road and what we're starting to learn is that actually nature wins <laughs> yeah and so we are thinking a lot and it's not just post irene it's we uh, we are part of a national conversation in fact a global one i've been invited to speak at an international conference on infrastructure resilience because Everyone's starting to think about what does the future look like? What does it mean for our, our, not just our roads, but our bridges, culverts, railroads? Um, and it's different in different parts of the country. Let's go to uh, Morrisville. Richard, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I want to voice a complaint. Um, I, I find that the, the roads, the off-roads, the state roads, and even, uh, even town roads, are in horrible, horrible shape, and, and particularly in towns that we get, we're getting a lot of uh, nice new uh, sidewalks, and uh, the roads are in horrible shape. Driving the roads is like uh, driving an obstacle course. There's so much pitting, um, so much, so many cracks, uh, and some of the uh, obstructions are are severe. I mean, they really are severe. I ran over one that was part of a construction unit to the 
to the west on Route 15, and, and they had a, a, this is on the weekend, they had a, um, uh, almost like a ledge, four-inch uh, high, which was a, was a sharp cutoff where they had done macadams on the bridge, and then when they hit to the road, they had stopped for the weekend, and that's with this huge gap that you had to run over to uh, to get from point A to point B, and, and I feel like the, the roads are in terrible, terrible shape, and this is both state and off-road states okay. are not off-road. All right, let me have a comment. Thank you for your call. Thank you, and um, I appreciate that many, many roads are in uh, not in the state of repair that we'd like them to be. You know, we've done, and I would say also that it isn't that we are unaware of many of these challenges. I can't say we're aware of all of them, especially off the state roads, but on the state roads, we actually analyze, we have a, a camera that reviews every mile of road, and... <clears throat> It's really that we don't have the resources to be everywhere at once, in spite of the fact that we've had very significant transportation budgets over the last four years. We know that every year we are $240 million behind on what it takes to keep our system in a state of good repair. So that isn't an excuse. Um, it's just the reality of how constrained our resources is. We also in Vermont have uh, extra challenges with weather, and I think you know that, uh, the freeze and thaw cycle and how that gets underneath the pavement and creates potholes. Um, and also the salt is always wear and tear. And I think the really big part is that our roads, most of them, were not properly engineered to be the kinds of roads carrying the kind of weight that they do. Our interstate system is properly engineered, and we're able to keep it at a very high quality. But many of our roads started as cattle cars. They actually started as footpaths along the river from Native Americans, and they connected communities. So we have such an old system, and it's not properly engineered, so that it goes... Uh, to poor repair very quickly because of all of the weights and the trucks and the and the cars going over it that that they were never originally designed for but i do want to tell the caller to please let us know the specific uh... instance i it sounded as if you might have set, talked about going through a, a work zone uh... that wasn't well marked and you hit a, a particular bump that's something i want us to know about because we can certainly take action um, we do prioritize where we pave we do know that when we look at how we've done in the last six years, we've actually been reducing significantly the number of very poor quality roads out there. We, we monitor this, and in 2009, we had over 30% of our roads were considered very poor. Well, now we've brought that down to just 13%. But guess what? When you're on a very poor road it doesn't look pretty and it's bad for your car so we're trying to do better uh... with the resources we have and we know that there's a lot of discontent and a long way to go did I, let me make sure i understood you correctly you said that we need to be spending more money on on transportation infrastructure and you were saying that there's a deficit in what we should be spending of two hundred and forty million are you saying that we need to spend x what we're spending now plus two hundred and forty million every year yeah that is based on a study that the legislature uh, requested us that we did together actually and it was in two thousand and thirteen and we looked at 
all of the assets and so that's roads bridges railroads buildings and what it would take to get them to a quote state of good repair so we really look at asset management and how are we managing these assets to perform to a certain standard and that study in 2013 determined that to get to a state of good repair we would need 240 million more annually so what would be the x in that equation so what what are we spending x plus 240 million well last this fiscal year we're about 600 million dollars that's federal and state dollars all right so you need like another third more every year wow right. and so that's why it's hard to keep up mark yeah. absolutely yeah all right let's uh, go to berlin tom good morning how are you yeah, good morning. Actually, ended up with like three three things I wanted to ask about. Uh, the first one I'm asking for my dad. He he was alive during Irene, and and he all said that he was in his 80s, and and he said when they used to dredge, they didn't have these problems, and they didn't let the river erode the banks like like the environmentalists now want you to kind of let the river be. And he said uh, when they dredged. They just didn't have as many problems, and they certainly didn't have as many floodings. My next question would be is about the tax money. Is our are we is all the gas tax going to repairs, or is the legislature still stealing some of the transportation tax money for other things? And my last one is my brother's in the paving business, and he laughs because they're, they're, a lot of your roads are doing this one inch topping. And he's chuckling because he says it's costing him, you got us thousands of dollars, and he says it's not even going to last through the winter. So why do we do that rather than just might as well wait and, and do it so it lasts? Okay. And I'll just hang up and listen. All right. Thank you, Tom. Great questions. I'll start with the dredging. And what I can say about that is what the river scientists tell us now is when we straighten and dig down and dredge in fact what that does in the event of a significant storm is it sends more volume and more velocity and therefore more hazard downstream so what they say now is they want to keep the um, rivers to meander to dissipate uh, to slow down that volume because when you think about what happened in Irene it was erosion it was the incredible power of water quickly going down and eroding away the banks and the river and the houses and cars and propane tanks all got flooded down so the goal is in fact not to straighten and dig deeper trenches because that increases uh, velocity power of that force of water that's the thinking now about the tax money um, our gas tax money is coming it's a you know one of the three revenue sources for the transportation fund along with um, purchase and use on cars and uh, motor vehicle fees and those dollars are coming to transportation uh, there is money that goes toward um, the state police um, as they are patrolling our highways but that is the only place that money from transportation revenues goes uh, beyond just the transportation system and each year the legislature is working to reduce that money going for the state police 
paving, one inch of paving. So you're right, we have several varieties of treatment, uh, different paving treatments, some of which are extremely expensive, um, over a million dollars a mile. That's when we're really digging down um, and getting to the sub-base and adding more like six to eight inches and dealing with the ditching and everything in between. Those are the most expensive, but we can't get very far if we did everything that way. So in some places, we do those uh, shorter-term leveling projects, um, which you're, you're referring to. I would, they are not the majority of, of what we do. Uh, you may also be referring to something called preventive maintenance, which is another uh, thin layer on top. But what that is being used is actually for major uh, roads that had been repaired significantly in the last eight years but are beginning to deteriorate that's preventive maintenance so sometimes we're putting a thin coat on top of a decent quality road kind of like painting your house uh, so as to preserve the value and the investment that we've made in that road and not let it take off so there's lots of different things about one inch pavement a lot of times it is just to get us through to the next winter because of the complaints we have and really it getting to an extreme situation which is not fair or safe 244-1777 is our local number, toll-free 877-291-8255. A moment of your time for our friends at Jet Service Envelope. If you are looking for a local printer, make it our friends at the Jet. They can do everything from publish a book for you to one of their fabulous trifold brochures. They have a machine that does just that. Yeah, it does the folding, too, so when you pick it up, you don't have to go back to the office and try to make that work. You can uh, also get uh, just about anything that involves ink and paper put together. They can make it happen for you. And if you need some new letterhead and envelopes for your business, what a wonderful place for you to go. You can make it all happen at Jet Service Envelope. Give them a call right now at 229-9335, 229-9335, on the web, jetservice-envelope.com. Let's head over to uh, Duxbury. Eric, good morning. Hi, uh, how are you this morning? Great. Good. This is actually Eric from Duxbury. Yep. And I was calling to comment on uh, the whole dredging thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the scientists are wrong in their perspective because there's a saying that is uh, still waters run deep. And if you think about it, if the water has more space to uh, a deeper channel, it's going to move slower versus if it's only six inches deep and it's, it, and it's just expanding way out past its banks. That's where all the erosion is coming from. Years ago, when they used to dredge the rivers, they didn't dredge the whole thing. They would just dig deep channels. And then when the wash came down, it had a place to deposit and uh, then they dig it out again. Well, now it hasn't been done for so long. Everywhere you go, the river's only six inches deep. So when we get all this water, it's, it's going out, and that's where all the erosion is coming from. If they would go in and dig out certain spots and make deep channels, I think they would be a lot better off, and, and then you would also get a lot of product to put back into the roads because it's all gravel that came from the roads. All right. Let because me, of the erosion. Okay. Let me, let me, go ahead. What? Go ahead. And the other, the other comment I had is if you look at bridge abutments, the middle of the, the water should run down the middle of the bridge. It shouldn't run under the abutments. And if you look at a lot of bridges, that's where the water's going. So it's eroding underneath the abutments, 
And that's how you get that joint when you drive onto a bridge, that bang when you drive onto a bridge. Okay. All right. Let me have her comment. Thank you for your call. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much. And I am absolutely not able to argue the science of the rivers. Um, I'm telling you what I've learned, and I think your point of view is uh, thought of by a lot, and I think you should have a river scientist on to better uh, give their point of view. With respect to the bridges, a very important point, and we are, uh, as we are rebuilding and redesigning bridges, working in every instance, and culverts, by the way, to upsize these, so to get the abutments as far out of the water as we can, because of the scour. And yes, I think for those bridges that are aging, and the dynamics of the river are absolutely affecting those joints. And uh, when, when you see the newer bridges that we are designing, and by the way, we're going gangbusters on bridges. We've never spent more money nor gotten more bridges done more quickly than we are right now with the innovations that we're doing all around the state. Uh, but look at the designs and you will see uh, a very different effort to keep them out of the water as much as possible. How should Vermont, how should states be funding their transportation? There's discussion about changing the gas tax. Do you think the gas tax should be changed as the funding mechanism? I think we absolutely have to move away from the gas tax into the future because it is not a sustainable revenue source. We are constantly behind the eight ball because of the decline in revenues we get from the gas tax because our fuel-efficient cars... Thank you for the environment and electric cars. Uh, and people are actually driving less. So that combined means that we are getting less into our piggy bank uh, to fix the roads with. And we know that's going to continue. So as we move forward, I think we need to rely less on the gas tax. And I think we need to look more at the vehicles themselves, especially as we're looking to uh, f vehicles fueled not by gas. Um, how do we make sure that electric vehicles are, in fact, paying for the system that they're using? And um, that's something that we want to have a, a more robust conversation about. There are also uh, efforts on the West Coast that they're looking at something called a vehicle miles traveled, where you really have a user fee-based system. Uh, difficult to administer, but they're making progress, and we're looking at that, considering uh, could we do a pilot. It would mostly need to be a regional pilot. It can't just be the state of Vermont because so many people are coming from outside. But maybe considering giving people the choice. They can pay at the pump, they can pay on their vehicle, or they can pay based on their mileage. That might be a way forward. That's how Washington is doing it. They give consumers the choice of how they want to pay. We'll take a quick break, come back, continue our discussion. Sue Mitter is the Transportation Secretary. We'll be back right after this. Looking for a new car or SUV? Then come into Cody Chevrolet Cadillac during Chevy's bonus tag sales event. Now through August 31st, get up to 3000 total cash allowance on select new 2015 Chevy Cruze, Impala, Malibu, Equinox, or Traverse. Find your Chevy bonus tag, find your deal. And with the best selection of new Chevrolets in Central Vermont, you're sure to find the right Chevy for you at Cody Chevrolet Cadillac. So hurry in today and get more than you expect for less less than you imagined. Another reason Cody is why Chevy's the buy. Chevrolet. Find new roads. If you're looking for commercial loan advice, doesn't it make sense to ask someone who's been offering that for over a hundred years? We're Union Bank, and just like your business, we're local. Now, we know what you're thinking, but being a hundred years old hasn't slowed us down a bit. In fact, it's taught us how to get things done. It's the reason why we're so nimble and know how to make business loans happen on a local level. When you call Union Bank, you get a real person with real answers. Full service, local banking, with someone who actually knows what it's like doing business here. 
Plus, it doesn't hurt that our main offices are nearby and with doors wide open, like a true local. With an array of services to fit your needs, no one works harder to make your business go far. Union Bank. Stay local. Go far. Visit us at your local branch or go to ublocal.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. We are high performance, low pressure. Mike Nicastro here from Walker Volkswagen on the Barry Montpelier Road, and I'm excited to announce that our summer model year-end clearance event is happening now. Our goal is to sell all remaining 2015 inventory to make room for our incoming 2016s. I have instructed our staff to offer deeper discounts and higher trade values to achieve this goal. Combine this with Volkswagen's best incentives of the year, like 0% financing for up to 72 months, $1,000 bonus cash, and the lowest lease payments of the year. This truly is the best time to purchase your next Volkswagen. And only at Walker Volkswagen, we're including three years or 30,000 miles of scheduled maintenance with the purchase or lease of any new 2015 Volkswagen. This is a $400 value that will reduce your overall cost of ownership and keep your money where it belongs in your pocket. This is an exclusive offer only from Walker Volkswagen. Buying a Volkswagen is easy with Walker's upfront pricing. Stop by, call, or click walkervt.com for your easy upfront price. Walker Volkswagen, your source for everything Volkswagen on the Barry Montpelier Road and walkervt.com. All right, we're back to continue our discussion this morning. We've been talking with Sue Minter, who's the Transportation Secretary. We've been talking about uh, Irene and some other topics as well, too. A little bit of dredging here and there. Um, let's talk about you here for a moment before we get any further. I know you're considering the idea of uh, running for governor of the state of Vermont. Why would you want to be governor of the state of Vermont, Sue Minter? Well, I'm thinking a lot about the future of this state, and I know we have challenges ahead. And, um, you know, I've been able to learn a lot about my own leadership style and, and cap capabilities. I'm running the second largest agency of state government, and uh, having that executive branch experience and the legislative branch experience, I think, might uh, bring the kind of skills that can help forge uh, um, a path forward. But... Mark, it's a huge decision, a very difficult one, one that I'm not taking lightly, and uh, <laughs> I have a lot uh, to consider as, before I make that decision. What do you have to consider? Well, number one, uh, is it something uh, that I feel like I have the skills uh, and qualifications uh, to do? And second, is it am I the kind of leader that Vermonters are looking for and will follow? Most importantly, I'm thinking about my family and does it make sense for us? And, you know, one of the hardest decisions, and I may be the only one having to make this decision, is that I have to leave my job in order to even begin. Where are you at on this? Well, uh, I'm thinking very seriously about it, and I'll be sure to let you know uh, when I make a decision. Are you close? Uh, hopefully, I think I've been given myself, you know, the end of summer, uh, the week after Labor Day is when I really want to close in on this decision. I know there have been some people who have been suggesting to you to run for lieutenant governor. Is there, is there something about that that bothers you? Nothing bothers me. Uh, you know, I think the job I have right now, I'm involved in national policy. I'm working. I have a $600 million budget. I have huge decisions and responsibilities, uh, 1,300 employees. Um, I feel like I've gained a lot of skills and experience uh, relevant to the governor's office and um, 
perhaps less relevant, uh, frankly, to the lieutenant governor's office, but there's nothing certainly wrong with that option either, mm -hmm. nor is there anything wrong with staying where I am. Do you think you could win? Uh, I'm interested to think about that, and, you know, this is sort of a politics discussion uh, for the future. I, I think if I run, I, or if I make that decision to run, I certainly wouldn't do it unless I thought I would win. Let's uh, take a couple more calls here. Let's go to Faiston. Phil, good morning. Phil, good morning, Mark. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I have two questions for the Secretary. Uh, next summer, a bridge replacement is planned for Route 100 in front of the LaRue Farm. When the bridge, the bridge replacement was done at the Kingsbury Farm, just south of there a couple of years ago, a temporary bridge was built. It is my understanding that that will not be the case at this new project, causing a, an extensive detour. Is that true, and if so, why? Okay. Well, I have to tell you that I don't know the details of that specific bridge, uh, but if the decision is made to do a detour, it is a decision that we are actually encouraging in communities across the state, and let me explain why. We learned, actually, it's a lesson from Irene, uh, that when we can actually control the road by closing the road for a short period of time, we can get bridges done more quickly at far lower cost at dramatically less environmental cost and with safer work zones. So we think it's a win-win. Uh, the community itself, though, gets to make that decision. We don't even consider a closure unless it meets certain criteria. And then we offer this option to the community that's impacted. Um, I don't know the decision process yet on your particular bridge, but what we've seen in places, for example, this summer in the town of Stowe, right in the middle of Stowe, uh, very deep concern about what would a closure uh, be like. And uh, we worked it through. They decided to go with it. We did in something like 47 days, we got that bridge rebuilt and reopened. When you use the temporary bridge, and you've just experienced it with the Kingsbury Bridge, you see that there's a longer-term uh, impact. It can sometimes go over two construction seasons, and you have delays. In your part of Route 100, I don't know how impacted that would be, but in the crowded community of Stowe, that would have been two years of construction in the heart of the downtown Stowe would have been a bigger headache. The other thing is sometimes design decisions get into way. So that bridge in Stowe, they kicked down the road 10 years because they couldn't get the environmental permits for, uh, for the traditional construction method. But when, when they went with the closure, they realized they could actually get it done and not have to impair the environment. So there are a number of factors that go into considerations of closures. Um, I hope you will get full answers from our team uh, for how they will, you would be impacted um, and, you know, also to consider some of the benefits of getting it done more quickly at far less cost and less environmental impact. I have a second question, if I may. Briefly. Yep, go ahead. When you get off the interstate headed to Taft Corners in Williston, you are presented with four traffic lights. There are only three lanes. My question is, what's the fourth light for? I would invite you to come to Williston this weekend when the college students return, particularly the freshmen, and are confronted with that and watch the hysterical, if not 
somewhat unsafe circumstances that that fourth light creates. Okay, thanks for your question. Sue? I will go visit. I'm, I'm not envisioning the fourth light, so I'll look forward to visiting and, and seeing exactly what you're talking to. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. All right, so bottom line on Irene, if another Irene hit today, is Vermont at all, is, is Vermont prepared? The ways in which we are better prepared is, first of all, we know what to expect. We know how to respond. We do training and emergency response training, and that goes all the way out to our municipalities. So in terms of emergency response, uh, the state is, I think, more prepared. Communities are becoming more prepared. I can talk about the shelter program where we had shelters all over the state that didn't have the resources to take care of people now we have that they all have capacity and training so in terms of actually responding and taking care of the immediate needs i think we really are better prepared i also think that because of things we've been talking about making our bridges and culverts bigger thinking about actually buying out properties to enable greater floodplain and all of the buildings that are going into place for example the waterbury state office complex or all of the homes on randall street have been built so that you know their utilities are not in the basement the waterbury state office complex is built so that it ha it is uh, floodproof or more resilient they've taken down some of the land so that there is greater opportunity for flooding examples like that are pervasive across uh, the state relative to building back stronger which really was our goal and i think we have accomplished that in some significant ways however there are many many vulnerable places and properties in fact um, commissioner noel mckay did a whole study called the vermont economic resilience initiative where she looked at five communities really high risks for flooding and high risk for ec for their economic impact and uh, really have assessed and targeted strategic investments that need to be made to make us stronger for the future. Thanks for coming in. Nice to see you. Sue. Mark, thank you for all of your service to Vermont. Sue Minter is the Transportation Secretary. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. That's going to wrap things up for today. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush 96.5 in Berry and Montpelier, 101.9 in the Northeast Kingdom, and the flagship AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier News is coming your way next.